Hello, everyone. Welcome to Instrumatic, second in a series uh, of the Voice AI and Marketing Podcast. Uh, we sincerely appreciate everyone taking the time to be here today. Uh, again, we know that your time is precious, and we always do everything we can to uh, be respectful of that. Our hope and our goal are to keep our conversations informative and hopefully entertaining and at a positive pace. Uh, while our core conversation will surround Voice AI and the marketing implications, We'll also expand well beyond that to marketing issues at large, new technologies, consumer media consumption, and more. Uh, we're thinking of this podcast series as a bit of a fireside chat without a fireplace. <laughs> and it will be a series of conversations with thought leaders about voice AI. Uh, we have a growing list of some pretty amazing guests in coming weeks as well as today. Uh, they'll be from top media companies, advertising agencies, brands, venture capital firms, ad tech, and a lot more. A couple of words about the format. We want the conversation to be casual and interactive, so please feel free to use the raise hand feature tool in Zoom when you have a question or a comment, and we'll recognize you and uh, open the microphone for you to speak and pose any questions or comments. Until you do raise your hand to speak, we're going to start with all attendees uh, without the microphone enabled. Uh, my name is Andy Watley. I'm the SVP of Global Business Development and Partnerships. My co-host is Stas Tushinsky, CEO and co-founder of Instrumatic, and the guy that signs my checks. And we have an amazing guest today. <laughs> um, welcome to uh, welcome to the podcast, Giles Martin, EVP, Client Strategy and Media Operations at Oxford Road, a leading performance audio agency. And he didn't even pay us for that commercial. Um, <laughs> in this in this conversation with Giles, we're going to be speaking around the cutting edge of marketing, where Giles is well known for uh, driving market science, marketing science, analytics, behavioral economics, and human science to help brands grow from uh, market launch to hopefully becoming household names. Uh, in particular, uh, well, we'll just start right there. Stas, Giles, uh, let's get the uh, let's get this party on the road. Yeah. Right. Hello, everybody. Hey, Giles. Uh, it's so great Good to have to you, you with us today. Thank you. Good to be yeah. here. By the way, great backgrounds. I always wonder how people choose their backgrounds. Yes, it's a, a incredibly plush hotel in London where, needless to say, I'm not, unfortunately. But, um, you know, maybe this summer when the, the world opens up a little more, maybe I'll, I'll go there for a nice spot of afternoon tea or something. Yeah, I think we're all waiting for that. Uh, we're <laughs> all waiting for, for the opportunity to travel, including in London. Indeed. Uh, Great. So our podcast is dedicated to all things voice AI mm -hmm. in marketing, in media, because we are now witnessing this, I would say, rather massive uh, innovation and revolution happening in, in how people yep. interact with media content. And obviously, most of it is uh, ad-supported. And so I'd like to start with this question. Actually, it's a question about one of your quotes. So here's the quote. Uh, you once said that um, amid an ocean of data, the real art of our times is not measurement, which really is not much more than data wrangling these days, but knowing what to measure and why. Could you tell us what opportunities does Voice AI open for marketers in this regard? Um, wow. Yes. Interesting one. I feel, I feel bad about saying that measurement was not much more than data wrangling these days. So any attribution guys, 
Sorry, data wrangling obviously takes up about 80% of the time, but um, you know, the, the measurement part is, it is becoming a real increasing art. And you know, I think if you go back to the early days of social media uh, or even digital advertising where you know, we can report on clicks, we can report on page views, we can report on sessions. So we'll start counting those and reporting on those and, and having conversations about those. Similarly, when social launched, we'll start counting likes you know, we'll start counting shares, et cetera, et cetera. And that just proceeded for a number of years before people started asking those awkward questions in meetings. It's like, well, what is a like actually worth? And that sort of precipitated a whole new era of sort of evaluating, you know, what metrics matter and, and, and why, and, you know, really looking to identify the things that really mattered. I think I think one of the things that's special about voice is that the indicators that it that it throws up for marketers are potentially, you know, very important and potentially very valuable. Uh, you know, if you if you are running an ad, like you know, let's take an instrumentic type ad. If you're running an ad, you're asking actively a question that is going to indicate whether there was real interest in the product. You're, you're also going to learn whether there's real interest in the category, you know, depending on how you frame the question, you frame the, you know, the copy in the ad, you know, there may even be more nuances that you can get just out of a simple one word answer or one answer to a question. And so, you know, I think what voice is opening up there, you know, unlike these other channels when they were born is that, you know, you, you're engaging directly with the mind of the consumer, you know, in that moment. And so when they interact with you, they're actually giving you something really really valuable, like something that really comes from them and is really indicative of their interests and, and probably their intent as well. And obviously there's a lot you can subsequently do with that data as well. But I just think that's a whole different order of, of information um, that voice gives you that just, you know, that wasn't really available, you know, with those other channels. Yeah, it wasn't really available on the channels. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that. So what data you are referring I mean, to, how I, the market actually use it? I mean, I just mean that, um, you know, in, in so I'm, I'm thinking again of like, you know, 10 years ago, maybe even, you know, further than that, when advertisers are starting to invest a lot of money in Facebook for the first time, yeah. you know, you, you might get an indicator that someone's going to, you know, click you know, like on some post that you put on social media. Now, what does that really mean? Like, what does that really tell you? You know, maybe it means the customer is genuinely interested in the brand. Maybe it means they're genuinely a fan of the brand. Maybe there was something in that specific piece of content that really resonated with them, you know, but, but maybe it was just, you know, something that they did casually, or maybe they were on a mobile device and they did it by mistake. And so, you know, the, the indicators, you know, you think about, you know, one of the big problems with analytics always is the, sig the signal and the noise, right? And so in, in that type of environment, that type of social environment, there's potentially a lot of noise in the data where you're really trying to understand, well, what's the real signal here? Like, what's the really, the thing that really matters? And, and what I'm saying about voice having like a different order of data, like a different quality, a different level of data is like, the signal is so strong. And the noise is so so weak. So it's just like that's that's so much clearer, and so much more powerful, you know, for marketers to work with in, in a way. Well, correct sense. me if I'm wrong, but what what I'm hearing is 
um, you're saying that because people responded verbally, mm-hmm. which means that probably they thought a bit about what they're going to say, that means that it's not um, a random data point. It's a clearer signal, right? Right. Yeah, much clearer signal, you know, and it's, it, it may well be indicating like real intent, you know? I mean, when we run ads with Instramatic, you know, we're asking point blank, like, are you interested? Like, that's something that marketers have never had the opportunity to do before. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, an interaction, you know, with a paid ad or a piece of, you know, owned content, you know, on a social channel, it's, it's just not giving you that same indicator of, of, of real intent, you know, of what's, what's really live, alive for the customer in that moment. Yeah, you said, uh, yeah, you, you were asking people if they're interested. I'm curious now, um, do you think it's a, it's a big challenge for marketers to, um, to lay out this map of responses? Because let's say you ask me if I'm interested in something, and, yeah. and obviously I can say, yes, I am, or I can say, uh, maybe, or what do you mean exactly, or not now, or... Yeah go away or even, you know, F off. Yeah. Um, so is that a challenge to, uh, to keep the conversation natural? Well, I think, I think there's, a, there's a couple of questions in there. And I think partially, you know, the answer to this better than I do probably. And I want to hear your opinion too. But, um, you know, keeping the conversation natural, you know, that's, that's obviously the biggest challenge in, in, in voice tech generally. And, um, you know, it's the main reason why voice assistants, you know, that they're, they're partial assistants at best, like they don't yet have that full conversational capability to really keep the conversation natural. And, and they don't have that sort of broader, what general intelligence, you know, that, that, that is gonna make, you know, assistance and voice, voice integrated tech, you know, more, more valuable overall. Uh, you know, we can definitely talk more about that and I find it a super interesting topic. Um, I think, you know, more immediately for marketers, the part of your question about, you know, how do we design for all the different possible answers? I mean, that is, that is a challenge uh, for marketers. And I think, you know, as is often the way, probably the best, the best way to get started is just to, to start with the most simple iterations that you can imagine, and you know, and I know when we've had conversations before, we've talked about you know this this theoretical example of you know two for one on a coffee. Are you interested? And you know, if people aren't interested, you know, there's a possibility they might say, you know, oh no, but I could use a coke, or no, I'm a tea drinker. You know, not to be a British stereotype or anything. Um, and so you know, if you can plan for sort of one or two or three sort of simple, you know. Um, different options, you know, hopefully sort of fairly broad options where you can capture those responses, then I think, you know, you're teeing up a couple of things. You're you're teeing up um, potentially, and I I don't know if this tech exists yet, and you you guys may have more commentary about this, uh, maybe a second question, which allows you then to get even more information, or you're teeing up, and or, you know, you're teeing up the ability to take what you learn, like, oh no, I'm a tea drinker, and then leverage that with, you know, some specific retargeted media and you know, retargeted against that person with a really customized message about tea to them. So, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of value 
I think it's a great question. I think that there's a lot of value for marketers in, in doing that type of anticipation and, and trying to imagine where the conversation goes. It's, it's really exactly the same type of challenge that you know, marketers have and, and engineers have when designing you know, Amazon skills, Alexa skills, you know, or, or, or Google apps as well. It's like you, you, you're trying to anticipate and map out that whole conversation. It's a fiendishly difficult thing to do. But um, I think starting simply, trying to break it into, into big chunks of, of potential response, big channels of response where you can direct them, um, I think that opens up a lot of opportunities. And again, gives you those really valuable signals. Well, it, it, then this, I have this question. If you had a, a magic wand, uh, how would you set everything up? I'm referring to what we just discussed, you know, that's not easy to predict and map out all the possible responses to people's responses. Um, can you, can you say a little bit more? I'm not exactly sure what you're, what you're getting. Um, well, you said that the, there is a challenge with the tech and, you know, engineers working hard on it. Um, yeah. And I'm curious, like in the, in the perfect world, how would you go about it? So I understand that it's, it takes a lot of effort and uh, uh -huh. mentally effort uh, to actually think through, uh, I don't know, 10, 20 directions a conversation yeah. can go. Yeah. So in the perfect world, uh, I, I see right now, I see two options. Maybe you see more. One option is we have marketers who know exactly what they should do and it just takes them 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. or <clears throat> we rather get rid of a human factor and we just have one button, like, I want this. And yeah. you, AI, figure it out for me. Um, I mean, I think it depends a lot on the marketer's situation. I think if you're a marketer who has a lot of different, you know, products, like if you're in, 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 in the car category, in auto, like... If someone expresses an interest either in a car or in your specific brand, like you're going to have a whole series of potential models that may be of interest to them. And, and you know, and if you're smart, I think you can you can sort of tee up the, the ad and, and the copy in a way that will, you know, purposefully and maybe subtly, but you know, tease out like well, what type of model might be interesting to you. So then you can plan, you know, responses say, across 10 different models of cars. Like you can, that's building a really, really rich and valuable experience for the marketer. Because, you know, you're, 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 you're learning about, you know, genuine prospects and, 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 the, and the, the, the level of intent of those prospects, but also specific, um, you know, specific product interests. And, and it could go for the same thing if you're a retailer or someone like that, or just, you know, a, a company that has a, a lot of different, products in its portfolio like i think you can that's the one way is you can try and steer people into those large kind of buckets of products mm -hmm. i'm not sure um, that i'm not sure that really answers your question um yeah just one clarification partially perhaps. Uh, do you do you think that marketers can trust ai with um producing creatives on the fly um I think not yet. I mean, this isn't really my area of expertise, but um, you know, I know that there's a lot of dynamic ad creation technology out there. Um, we're partnering actually with some some people who are doing multivariate like ad creation on Facebook right now. Um, you know, truly AI driven. I mean, when when you say that to me, that means I interpret it as something that's truly generative. You know, like I, and I don't know if 
if you guys know, but like AI these days, like it can, it can paint art, it can create songs. I think that a piece of AI was signed to a record label a couple of years ago. Like it, it is truly generative, it's truly creative, which is sort of a fairly awesome, I mean that in the literal sense, it's fairly awesome kind of milestone on the journey of AI. Um, so I think, you know, in practice, it is, print, it, it is possible. Uh, um, I know that there's AI that generates um, copy for marketers. I can't remember the names of the company, but, but the copy generation is, is you know, pretty automatable now. I think that it's, it's probably not far away, but I, I wouldn't personally trust it yet. I think it's got a little bit too far to go. Okay. So some interesting examples with video of that recently, and it's a good experience, but still not 100% there, I don't think. Um, here's another dimension uh, worth hearing your, your, your thoughts on. Um, emotions are obviously an important factor uh, contributing to the success of an ad campaign. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt about the fact that uh, triggering a strong emotion in a listener consumer uh, is a most effective way to attract their attention and move them to action. Mm -hmm. uh, quoting your article again, the word emotion even You guys are embarrassing me motion in it yes right we mentioned the book and you get a copy at uh capture <laughs> um so the, the the word emotion even has the word motion in it so yeah capturing yep. the heart and mind will follow right yep. do you think yep. that, do you think that voice enabled ads could bring another level or another dimension to emotional engagement at a much higher level Is it? um that's an interesting one um It's not where my thoughts immediately go. Like I don't immediately think of, you know, like voice interaction when I think of emotion, you know, the, the, and, and what's behind this, just for a little bit of context here, like there's, the science has been so unequivocal and it's converged so much in the last 20 or 30 years um, around how humans operate and how we make decisions and how we're influenced. And, um, you know, some of the sort of landmark publications that have really resonated with the marketing community, you know, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman and, and Nudge um, by Richard Thaler, like the behavioral economic stuff it, and, and a lot of other more sort of biology and, and sort of social psychology focused books as well. But we make decisions in a very irrational way. We think we're incredibly rational. We're really not. And it's really our emotions and our subconscious mind that is making the decisions for us. And so that's why, you know, the marketers that are paying attention, you've seen this glut of um, really emotional type ads over the past 10 years or so that marketers have really been paying attention to this. You think about, at least in the UK, it's had, a, you know, it's so well known now because it's spawned a whole new generation of ads, the John Lewis Christmas ads, have, you know, just, just changed advertising in the UK because they've been so effective with their emotional connections. But in the US, you know, Skype, Microsoft, Budweiser, P&G, the Mums campaign for the Olympics, like some really famous campaigns that have been so emotionally engaging. And so, you know, that's typically what I think of when I think about, you know, how do you really engage emotions in, in marketing and, and really build brands? I, I think it's harder for voice in a way, um, but thinking about how, you know, we interact with ads with Instamatic, for example, like, um, if, if, I, if I'm asked, do I want a coffee? And I say, no, I'm a tea drinker. And then you come back to me and you offer me a tea ad. That is gonna have more relevance to me. And it may even, it may even resonate with me emotionally. Um, I mean, to go even further, 
let's say that you're able to capture much more detailed information. Like, no, if I say, no, I don't want a coffee, I don't want a coffee, like a black, a regular black coffee or something, but you know, I'd love a mocha latte frappuccino with extra ice or whatever it might be. Like that's something that's, that, that's probably very personal to me, right? That, that really, like, that's how I take my coffee. That's how I like my coffee. Like if I'm with work, I'm at work and I've got a buddy at work and they're going to Starbucks, they know to get me a mocha latte frappuccino. So I'm not a Starbucks guy. So I'm, I'm really on the seat of my pants here, but um, you know, they know to get you that coffee because that's the coffee you like, right? And so you feel some kind of connection with that person that, hey, they know me well enough to like, they know that's the coffee I like. And I think if you, you know, could leverage that voice tech in a way where you're able to capture more detailed information like that. And then you can come back to them, you know, maybe not immediately, because maybe it would seem a bit too creepy immediately, but you know, later on at some point you say, hey, do you want a two for one offer on mocha latte frappuccinos with extra ice? And that, you know, then I think you have the real opportunity to have someone respond in that sort of authentic emotional way of like, oh, this, this, <laughs> computer commercial really knows me. Um, I mean, there's always that element of like, is this creepy? But like, I think that, you know, there's a real potential for like creating emotional resonance in that way in terms of like, you know, and again, it's a little weird to be talking about it, but like really having people feel understood, you know, like, like they're, they're really seen. Do you think people would think it's creepy if you, in ad number one, we deliver an ad and we ask you, we say something about coffee and the person says, no, I don't like coffee. No, thanks. Um, matter of fact, I hate coffee. And then a couple of days later, we deliver an ad that says, hey, we know you don't like coffee. How'd you like to check out our tea? Do you think that's in any level creepy? I mean, personally, I feel it's fairly creepy, but I think that the point is that, you know, and I think certainly, you know, other people will and, and other people, you know, will probably be more accepting of it. But I mean, whether it's creepy or not, I think it's inevitable. I think, you know, it's the way the industry's going, you know, the digital display, like it's already there, it's already capturing as much data as we possibly can about you and spitting it back to you in ways that are relevant and resonant. All you're really talking about is shifting that into a voice environment. And yeah, it's unfamiliar and that makes it a bit creepy because we're often resistant to things that are unfamiliar and things we don't understand. But um, I, I think that people are just, you know, over time, I mean, they're going to get used to it because it's, it's coming. Yeah. So it's really interesting, you guys. Yeah. Sorry, Andy, you, you're talking about um, AI remembering your preferences is being creepy. I had a very interesting experience just recently. So I visited this um, Japanese restaurant, which I haven't visited since the, the lockdown. So more than a year. And I came in to pick up my food. Mm -hmm. And the chef <clears throat> recognized me and he said, you know, hey, Stan, you know, picking up your food. <laughs> and, and it's been, I mean, just imagine how many people he sees every day, yeah. right? And he remembered my name. Um, and it was, you can call it creepy, but because it was a real human being, it <laughs> felt impressive. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, it's kind of interesting that how polarized this um uh, you know, this feeling about it can be if you know this this is a machine or if it's a, if it's a person. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, that's a, a and thanks for sharing that example. I mean, it 
when a human does it to you in a context like that, like, I mean, we talk about emotional resonance, like it may not be the most powerful emotional resonance, but I mean, it, it creates it, right? It's like, oh, that feels, it's nice, right? It's like, that guy remember my name, like it, it connects with you. Um, you know, I think that this goes back to, you know, sort of where we started, where we're talking about how voice tech generally just isn't that intelligent yet. Like we talk about intelligent assistants and the, the, the reality is they're not that intelligent yet. And, um, and you know, we talked about a bit about this the other day about how like all the AI that's come in the last 10 to 20 years has been built on the foundation of neural networks and neural networks is just not a very good technology for language because language is so complicated and it's so unpredictable and it's so personal everyone uses it in different ways and it's just that type of modeling is not good for those types of problems and there's a whole industry of incredibly scarily smart people working on whole new ai technologies we talked a bit about cognitive architecture the other day like they're working to, to make these assistants like genuinely intelligent and and as that genuine genuine intelligent comes and we move towards general ai it's just going to be like that assistant is going to become a real assistant and it's going to be someone like, Hey, what am I doing you know, later today? And do I have time to get to Starbucks between these meetings? And like, and, and it's going to become part of our lives. And as it becomes part of our lives, just inevitably, we're going to get used to it. And, and it's going to be, like all those types of things we're talking about are going to be less and less creepy because it's like, Oh, Hey, you know, do you want this, you know, most iced frappuccino or whatever, or it's like, no, it's, we're going to be used to it. And we're going to be, yeah, thanks. That's actually relevant. And I think that it's just people will become comfortable with it. Or, or another example, you're, you're answering an elevator and it tells you, hey, Giles, fifth floor, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. If, if it knows what you're having for lunch, you might get concerned. Yes, it. maybe before you, you do. Kind of on the offshoot of the emotional thing, do you do you agree with or or um, resonate to the idea that, that, and I think there's been some studies on this, but um, no, there have been that the, the notion of if a person says something out loud, mm-hmm. that they align their behaviors with what they said they would do, and do you think maybe there's some pretty uh, powerful marketing implications from that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that what you're you're referring to, I think is one of Robert Cialdini's six principles of persuasion. Yeah. And I can't remember exactly the names of all the six principles that he gives them, but you know, the, the, the idea is exactly what you said. It's like, if I, if I, if I say something out loud, if, I, if I'm committing to something in some way, then if later, you know, you circle up with me and you ask me the same type of thing, like if, if I say, yeah, I'll help you, you know, run your campaign for you know local mayor like if later on you or someone you know says to me hey will you help with andy's campaign you know running for mayor it's like the fact that i've already said it makes it much more likely that i'm going to participate so yes it's a big implication for marketers you know if you can get people to express an interest you know in your category or in your product or in one of your products that definitely you know, at least according to the theory, like that, that will definitely increase your likelihood of, of, of buying in future. And that will make them, you know, hot prospects for targeting. And um, that's really a value to marketers for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons why I was really looking forward to this episode is because I knew that this one is not just going to be about uh, marketing theory, but actually we're going to discuss practice because mm-hmm. 
Giles with uh, his team at Oxford Road, they actually ran uh, several campaigns, voice uh, enable campaigns, and uh, I really wanted Giles to share their experience with them and uh, what they learned and how they think about voice ads now. Yeah, it was a really good experience, and um, I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to doing more. Um, I think we all are. Uh, you know, I think that generally we found that um, the ads worked well. They drove a lot of interactions, and they drove a lot of traffic to our client sites, and that was a, that was a really positive result. Um, on one client, one of our, one of the one of the you know better success stories with it was one of our B2B clients, which might be interesting to people if, if you know, you're thinking this is only something that works with consumers. Like we, we tested it in B2B as well, and it worked well there. Um, and what was actually interesting about that while I think of it is we use this type of two-tier technology that you were referring to, you know, we've been talking about with regard to the coffee and then coming back with a, with a second response about tea. In this case, our client was a you know enterprise software provider, and um, you know most of their customers come from um, you know people who use a very 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 common software accounting software for small businesses, and so it's really of interest to them, of our client, to to find users of this accounting software and and give messages to them, and so to you know once we were getting a read on the campaign to. To, to take it up a level, we sort of backed it up a bit. And then we went after people to say, hey, do you use this type of accounting software? Which was just a really great way for us to qualify the audience that is our hottest prospects. And then what we did was we, we took that audience and then we went back to that audience with you know, another voice you know, enabled ad asking, great, you know, we know you're a user. You know, it might be time for you to upgrade. Like, if your business is growing, you know, yeah. significantly, like it may probably can't meet your needs anymore. Are you interested in, you know, having a free demo or something like that? And and that worked well for us. And it it drove um, not just traffic to the top of the funnel, but it also drove you know a decent amount of leads for the amount of uh, money we invested. And and also a decent amount of those leads were were qualified, you know, and approved like lower down the sales funnel by their sales team. So, you know, that speaks to the quality of the leads too. And again, I think that's one of the areas where voice can be meaningful in that you've expressed intent and interest like Andy was just asking about. Um, and, and, you know, you've sort of pre-qualified yourself, right? And, and so the, the, the leads that you're getting into that, into that funnel, like that's high quality traffic. And so, I mean, I think that that's a big, a big win and a learning from the campaign. I mean, perhaps an obvious one and, and certainly a you know, big strength for you guys um, to be able to you know, offer that type of quality of, of customers coming into the funnel. Did you see a difference in engagement rates between the first dialogue with the consumer and then the second, this continuous conversation like, hey, I, I remember you know, you're either using or not using this competitor product. Uh -huh. Uh, did you see any differences in the engagement rate? So does the approach actually work? Well, I know the answer, but I want to get your uh, opinion on this. Um, 
you know, I don't, I don't remember specifically the difference in engagement rates between tier one and tier two. I mean, uh, and you, you should t tell me, and I'm very curious to know. I, I'm guessing that in tier two, once you've already sort of pre-qualified people, you would expect even higher levels of engagement. Is that what right. you typically see, or? Yeah, what we typically see is that uh, when you come back with the second message, referencing the the original conversation, mm -hmm. yeah, on average you see three to four times higher engagement. Yeah, okay, that's a big difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that I mean that explains a lot probably then about like why that type of approach works so well for us and that we got you know. That, that real qualified customer and that real level of interest. We did that with our B2B client with like the other tests we did were more on the B2C side and it was a more of a straightforward implementation. Um, you know, just asking if people have, you know, an interest and, and, and sending them a link to their, to their device. Um, you know, now having sort of learned a bit more and talking with you, with you guys, I am a little bit regretful that, you know, we didn't set up that second tier, you know, of response with it, but maybe more we could have done to, to, to get more juice out of the campaign. Um, but again, I mean, it, that drove a lot of traffic to the site. I think we had more difficulty converting that traffic than we did, you know, in the other example I gave. And I, I don't really have a, a great hypothesis for why right now, I'm afraid. Um, but I mean, certainly, you know, good, good top funnel activity, you know, all round. So that's definitely something that marketers can take away. And, and again, you know, it depends what your goals are. Like if you're a really a performance focused marketer, which, you know, most of our clients are obviously, you know, the top funnel stuff may not matter so much. And, and, you know, it would, given the conversation we're having, make a lot more sense probably to design that second tier of conversation and really anticipate all those potential different responses like we talked about so you can drive that next level of engagement you know in a second round but if you're a brand marketer you know just getting people interacting with your brand and getting people to express an interest in the brand or the category I mean that's and driving traffic to the site like that may be you know two or three wins right there yeah. So I'm I think sure it can be helpful, you know, to marketers of, with, with all different kinds of goals. I'm not sure if you guys did this or I, I don't think I discussed it with any of your people, but I'd be curious to look at a subset of data of, of top of funnel um, consumers that were driven by a standard audio ad versus mm -hmm. the conversion rate versus those yeah. that came from a voice enabled uh, yeah. uh, conversational dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. We, I mean, we haven't done that, but, um, you know, gosh, if you follow up with me, um, you know, maybe we've got, maybe we've got the data. It'll be interesting to, to be able to. to yeah, I think you the, do. The it difference. would be interesting to check into that. So I, yeah. I think I, I will follow up on that. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to remind everybody who's listening live that you can uh, send us a, a question either by chat or you can raise your hand and we'll um, queue you in and you can ask a question, ask Giles a question. Um, Giles, um, do you think there are some particular brand categories that can win the most from this technology right now? Um, I mean, I think it depends what technology we're talking about, because obviously there's different aspects of voice technology. I, you know, you guys obviously are very specialist in the sort of interactive ad space right now. Um, you know, it's a, it's an exciting space for marketers 
and at the same time, there's a lot of other, you know, voice opportunities for marketers. I think, you know, thinking broadly, you know, there are, there are certain things that just obviously naturally lend themselves to voice types of, of engagements and interactions. I mean, auto is the obvious, obvious place. And that's why, you know, all the auto manufacturers are investing so heavily in voice technology, you know, because you, you want to keep everything else free while you're driving the car. Um, and so, you know, that's an obvious area and, and, and those guys are already all over that. I think um, the Food Network released a really good um, voice app, which I think, again, makes a ton of sense. I think it was it was not pure voice. It was like voice and display, you know, on, on Alexa. Um, but, you know, again, it's something where you're busy with your hands, you're busy focusing and concentrating on something else but it just naturally lends itself to, oh, you can have a verbal interaction, you can have an audio interaction and get guidance on what's the next step in the recipe, you know, what's, what's the next ingredient. So, you know, there are some obvious use cases, there are some obvious categories that really lend themselves to voice, I think. Um, I think a lot of the, um, and, and also, you know, there's some really good B2B ones as well. Like I've, I've heard, you know, people who have very technical kind of jobs you know, let's say you're replacing parts on like some giant industrial machine, like it's very technical. It may be only something that you do, you know, rarely when there's when some kind of problem, like it might be dangerous or difficult. You know, let's say you're at the top of a, you know, uh, wind farm, like, you know, windmill, like it might be very dangerous or difficult to do that. You know, you can't just stop and look at a manual, but like there, there are those types of B2B applications where, you know, you can get the information you need through audio, you can have an interactive conversation, get guidance. Like I think that there, there are a lot of uses there in B2B too. I think what's interesting and, and challenging for marketers is, you know, how do they find a way into this space? Because it's it's just, you know, it's coming and 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 if you don't learn now, you know, then you're gonna be you're gonna be behind the curve moving forwards. Uh, and one of the favorite, one of my favorites that I heard out that I just wanted to share with you guys in case you weren't um, didn't hear about it but um the brand moon pie um they're quite famous for having a a twitter feed that is um what's the word um charismatic something like that um very very interesting twitter feed like lots of sort of slightly um wacky humor lots of character and when covid hit they created a voice app that was you know, like, hey, Moon Pie is going to be your roommate because you're stuck at home alone and, you know, you need some someone to talk to and some conversation. And so they made this, this, this app and they actually, you know, they had a bunch of people, like, I don't know if it was their creative agency or internally, like brainstorm, like, hey, if I'm sitting like in my college room with my slightly wacky roommate, like, what kind of conversations are we going to have? Like, what sort of things are we going to talk about? And what kind of things are they going to say back? You know, getting, again, on that whole point of like the, anticipating the conversation, right? This is one of the big challenges. And they did a really great job of that. And, um, and you know, it's a brand that has really no obvious link or, or business, you know, being in the voice space. But, right. you know, you talk about how marketers can create emotional connection. Like, okay, maybe it's only your most passionate customers are going to do that. Like maybe it's hard to get a lot of reach and a lot of scale, but, but if you can even get some distribution and it is distribution among customers who are favorable towards the brand, like 
wow, that is like the type of emotional connection when you're talking about that earlier that, again, like that's unprecedented from any other type of emotional connection you can really have with a brand. Like it's different from like seeing the P&G mom's Olympic ad and like having a tear come to your eye. Like that's different. Like this is more personal, more engaging. You can direct the conversation. It's kind of like the brand's your friend. I mean, they're really getting at that space. And I just find that's super interesting and, um, you know, really sort of indicative of the type of things that brands should be paying attention to. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly, that nails it. And uh, had some pretty interesting insights today. Uh, we save a question, our, our last question for our, it's kind of our zinger, you know, it's to get that personal reveal, the big reveal moment. Uh-oh. And we ask everybody this, so we didn't tell you we were gonna ask you this, so I don't think. Um, so what have you learned about yourself during lockdown? Oh gosh. Um, oh, yeah, speaking of uh, wacky roommate. <laughs> <laughs> that you love moon pies. No. Yes, that's right. I've eaten a hundred thousand moon pies and I put on 70 pounds. Um, um, what have I learned about myself? I don't know that I'm a grumpy old so-and-so um, that I really don't, it's not good for me to be locked, you know, in isolation, you know, from other humans. Um, uh, you know, spending time with myself, just generally not a good idea, I find. Being in an, I prefer being in an office. I prefer being around people. Um, and, or in a London uh, hotel. Sorry? Or in a good London hotel. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, so I, I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer. That's what I got for now. Yeah, I think that's somewhat similar. Well, hey, your insights have been fabulous today. We really appreciate having you. You've got some interesting perspectives and uh, you've done an awful lot at Oxford Road driving strategy. So we're uh, really appreciative of having you here to share your thoughts. Um, uh, so thank you very much, Giles. Absolutely, really enjoyed and, it. Thank you. Guys. And also to the audience, thank you all very much for being here today. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation, it's been interesting. Um, next, uh, next go around, I believe we're going to have uh, some uh, VCs, some venture capitalists, and uh, we'll be posting um, uh, the specific date, time, and uh, topic, and guests uh, on LinkedIn. Also, be sure to check out our, uh, and join, if you will, our, our Voice AI Marketing Group on, uh, on LinkedIn. We'd love to have you and have you there. Uh, and again, thanks very much to everybody. We've used up all of our time. So appreciate you all coming and hope you come again and share this with others. And uh, the commercial at the end says, the show presented by Instrumento, <laughs> the Voice AI leaders. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Charles. Okay. Well, Thanks, guys. Fun.